to Revelation chapter 6. We're about to step into the most incredible, unbelievable portion of Scripture in all the Bible. What we're about to study this morning is stranger than fiction, and it defies logic. It even argues against believability. What we're about to study in these next few moments is so wild, it could even remind someone of a science fiction thriller. Cecil B. DeMille, Steven Spielberg, H.G. Wells, these are men, have been men of great imagination, vivid imagination, and great creativity. But even they could not have drawn up with their vivid imagination anything to compare with the picture and symbols that you're about to read and hear about in just a moment. On one side of this, you might say, this is unbelievable. It just cannot happen. Actually, it's asking you to go against what you think you might know or believe about the Bible. But then you think about who who inspired the Scripture. When you think about the consistency and the credibility of God, the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible, then you change your approach for what might be seemingly unbelievable stuff. You see, ladies and gentlemen, what God has said, He will bring to pass. When you read the Old Testament, for example, you will discover that there are some 300 prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ. Those prophecies spoke about the first coming of Christ. By way of a reminder to you, I have on the screen a timeline, a graph, that says the first coming of Christ, and you see under it the symbol of the cross. The first coming of Jesus was as a baby in a manger born in Bethlehem. And the Old Testament talks about things as where he would be born, what tribe he would come from, all prophecies, what town he would be born in, what would happen at his birth, who his visitors would be. In fact, the Old Testament prophesies that children will be killed because of Herod's jealousy at his birth. It speaks of the flight into Egypt and his life. There are 300 testimonies in the Old Testament about his coming. And they were all fulfilled. Because if God says it, you can count it done. When you read all this stuff in Revelations, the symbols, the signs, the judgments... The seals, the trumpets, the bowls, the dragon, the beasts, the false prophets, etc. You read it, it seems wild or hard to believe. But then you remind yourself of God's track record. Again, He has never missed it. He has never missed a single prediction on time, and in its place. And when what God is saying here to us is, even though Revelation is incredible, even though the book's description is hard to believe, you can 
believe it. Because God's word is true. And so my task here this morning is to tell you God's word in hopes that what I have to talk to you about, you will not be here to participate in. In hopes that if you are ready, you will see how diabolical, destructive it is that you, like me, will want to tell somebody else, be sure to be gone when Jesus comes. I told you now for several weeks, and I will not take the time to expound on it, but you see the cross, and from the cross you see the word church. We are living in the church age. Ever since Jesus Christ ascended into heaven after His resurrection, ten days after His ascension, the Holy Spirit was outpoured on the believers in Jerusalem. And thus began the church age. And we have been in the church age for 2,009 years. The church age will end at the rapture. And there are no signs left to be fulfilled for the rapture. There are signs that must be fulfilled for the second coming of Christ. Seven years beyond the rapture. And many of those are already being fulfilled. So we're living on borrowed time. No more sign left. Somebody said, well, this gospel got to be preaching all the world before the rapture. No. It'll be preaching all the world before the second coming of Christ. Because his return to earth has two phases. The rapture where he will appear in the clouds. It'll happen so fast. The trumpet of God shall sound and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. It will happen so fast that no camera, no kind of television video equipment will be able to capture it for news. Because God says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and I don't know about you, but if it happens now, I am out of here. To God be the glory. If you're ready, clap your hands and thank God for being ready. Yeah. And last week I told you about a one world ruler. As soon as the rapture is over, the world will enter in a time of chaos and such disorder and uh, such a sense of confusion that they'll want somebody to come on the scene to bring order. And eventually one man will come on the scene. He will come on the scene first as a man of peace. And I described him last week, so I won't preach that again. In these seven years that follow the rapture, we'll be up in heaven with God at what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there you and I will be judged, not for sin, because we would never make it to the rapture if we were sinners. But we'll be judged at the marriage supper of the Lamb. For what we did with our salvation and our gift after we got saved. What we did with our time and talent and treasure. And we'll be given rewards based on that. While we are there seven years, the earth will enter seven years of tribulation. Ruled by the Antichrist. Who in the midst of that seven years will no longer be a man of peace. But he will want to be worshipped like God. He will break his covenant that he made with Israel and the peace he established for Israel made them think that he was their Messiah. And he will, by his act of abomination, 
will be irreverent of their worship and they'll realize that he's not the Messiah and the world will go for the next three and a half years of the seven years in the great tribulation. My mission this morning is to just help you understand a little bit because this is a whole series of sermons what the tribulation will be involved with. And, and in the Bible, when I study the tribulation, I see that it is referred to by several descriptions and pictures. Before I read you our text this morning, in the Old Testament, Isaiah warned about the time when God will pour out His wrath upon the earth for their blatant rejection of the gift of Jesus Christ as their Savior. I won't have you turn there, but I'll just give you a little bit of what Isaiah said it will be like at the tribulation. And it's found in Isaiah 13, verses 6 and 7 and a few other verses. But it goes like this. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. All hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth. And the moon will not cause its light to shine. The indignation of the Lord is against all nations. Their slain shall be thrown out. And their stench, their smell, bad smell, will rise from their corpses. And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Isaiah warned of the tribulation. That was Old Testament. Jesus comes on the scene. And in his preaching in Matthew's gospel, chapter 24 and verse 21, Jesus said, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor shall it ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh will be saved. Isaiah warned and Jesus prophesied and Paul, the apostle Paul predicted. He said in Second, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, Paul said, The day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. You don't want to be here. And then John, the revelator, persecuted For his faith in Christ was assigned to a remote, desolate island in the Mediterranean, the Isle of Patmos, left to die. And there God gave him what we now know as Revelation, the book. Chapter 6, please, and verse number 12. It says... I look when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of the heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, 
Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Throughout the scriptures, the tribulation is referred to by various names, but it means the same thing. The Bible says to us that it is called the day of the Lord, Isaiah 2 and 12. It is called the day of God's vengeance, Isaiah 34 and 8. It is also called the time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30 and 7. In Daniel's prophecy, it is known as Daniel's 70th week. That would be Daniel 9 and 24. It is also called the great day of his wrath, Revelation 6 and 17. Revelations 14 and 7, the hour of his judgment. In Matthew 13 and 14, it is called the end of this world. In Isaiah 26 and 20, the indignation of God. In Daniel 9:27, it is known as the wing of abominations. Daniel 12 and 1 said it's the time of trouble. And John in Revelation calls it, what Jesus calls it, the tribulation. Why would God go to all this trouble if this was not something that truly would come to pass in God's timetable? It will. The tribulation, brothers and sisters, will be divided into two parts. The first three and a half years will be called the tribulation. The second three and a half years of the seven years will be called the great tribulation. The latter of the three and a half years will manifest such unimaginable pain that no writer is really able to describe it. The question for us then is why the tribulation? Why will the wrath of God be poured out on the earth? What are its purposes? There's an answer for that in Scripture. The Bible tells us that God is a God of order and purpose. He's a God of detail and design. And when you read the Bible, you find out that God never does anything by happenstance. The first word that comes to my mind that explains why the tribulation is the word sovereignty. You see, church, it's impossible to read Revelation without seeing God's sovereign hand guiding the events from page to page and event to event. Since before the earth's creation, Satan and his hellish hordes have rebelled and rejected God's sovereignty. Satan, as you already know, was kicked out of heaven because he wasn't satisfied With his place in God's hierarchy of power. Satan was one of the highest ranked angels before he fell from heaven. And one of the most beautifully adorned angels. And had charge and power over myriads of other angels. But it wasn't enough. He wanted to be sovereign. And so Isaiah says that he decided one day that he'll make himself like God. He'll seat himself above God. And he'll be sovereign. And as a result of it, God cast him out of heaven and one third of the angels fell with him. And the tribulation will indicate to Satan and his cohorts as well as people who have rejected Christ. Because ever since 
sin entered the human race through Adam and Eve, other people have tried to make themselves little gods. Say an amen, somebody. Ever since sin came in this world, there are other people who have shaken their fingers in the face of God and dared Him to do anything to them because they just absolutely do not believe in God. But when the tribulation comes and God has the final say, there will be no atheists or agnostics because God will say, I'm God and you're not. I reign and you don't because he's sovereign. The tribulation also will occur because of this word utility. Tribulation comes from the Latin word tribulum, which was a farming tool used to separate husk from the corn. God will use the tribulation like a utility tool to separate the evil of the earth from the good of the earth. God will then judge the evil wrath. The Bible says his fan is in his hand. I feel his anointing. And he will thoroughly purge his floor. God will use the seven years of the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the vile judgments to separate the wheat from the tares that remain. Then I think about the word fidelity. It implies faithfulness. The tribulation will prove that God is again faithful. Can I get an amen? Amen. You see, God made a covenant with Abraham. And God said to Abraham, leave your father's country and your home and I'm going to take you to a country that will be yours. I won't tell you where it is until you get there. Just travel. One night, God woke Abraham out of his sleep, out of his tent, and said, Get out of your tent, look up in the skies, and count the stars. And Abraham's thinking, Why am I counting the stars? And God says, I'm going to bless you with children. And they're going to have children. And they're going to have children. And I want to make you the father of a great nation. Your wife is going to be the mother of a great nation. And the people I'm going to give you are going to be my people, the people of Israel. And they're going to be innumerable as the stars are innumerable and the sands of the seas are innumerable. They're going to be known as my people, Israel. I'm making a covenant with you, Abraham. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. I want to tell you, Israel has gone through centuries of persecution and trials because they've rejected God. But God said, when I get through judging them, I'm bringing them back home. In 1948, May 14, Israel became a nation. A nation was born in one day. Never had that happened before and never had that happen since because God is faithful. He will keep His word. And when the wrath of the tribulation comes, God will prove that I will rescue my own children after I I have judged them. Somebody give a Lord a praise. I might remind you too that when God blessed David, God said to David, out of the seed of David, the Messiah will come. And there will be from the seed of David one who will rule the world forever and ever. 
Jesus is the seed of David. God made a covenant. And right now, Satan is the prince and the power of the air. But Jesus Christ is coming back after the tribulation with the armies of heaven to defeat the armies of the Antichrist. And the Bible says in Philippians, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. God will keep His Word. And so, when I think about the tribulation, I think there's another purpose for it, and it's finality. For thousands of years, planet Earth and its people have been under the curse of sin. If you take notes, write it down, but if you don't write it down, it will still be true. Listen, all sin has an appointment with God's judgment. You and I see people and world events that warrant immediate judgment. But it doesn't get it. You and I have probably seen people go to their grave who needed to apologize and make things right. But they didn't. All sin has an appointment with God's judgment. The tribulation will bring that closure. Because wrath and judgment are coming. God will set things right. The Bible says the harvest of the earth will be ripe for the reaping. People may get by you. They may get by me. They may get by their mama and their daddy. They may get by the Atlanta Police Department or the Supreme Court of the United States. But nobody is getting by God. Hitler will have his day. Saddam Hussein will have his day. And others like them will have their day because judgment is coming and God will close the book on sin once and for all. And I don't plan to be here. I plan to be getting my reward. Thank you, Jesus. There's a fifth word that tells us why the tribulation. It's the word eternity. Earth and her people will walk through the door of tribulation to enter eternity. You see, at the close of the seven years, when the Antichrist has come to the height of his power, when he no longer is going to be pliable and negotiable, when his false prophet, who is a second man, requires that the whole world worship him, then there are some people who are going to rise up and say, wait just a minute, we don't mind you being our leader, but you certainly ain't going to be our God. Not everybody is going to be pro-Antichrist during the tribulation. As a result, there will be the necessity for the mark of the beast, the mark, the chip, whatever it is that will be placed in people's hand or on their forehead with the mark and the number of 666 and whatever else is there with it. And I won't take time to preach that either, but it's coming. It will come under the guise of convenience. It will come under the guise of security. It'll come under the guise of financial uh, maneuverability, so that you don't have to carry credit cards or billfolds. It'll come very nice and easy until folks won't even realize it's the mark of the beast until it has come. And at the close of that, that seven years, the Bible says the Antichrist and his cohorts will be so hateful against God and anything of God. 
Until they will gather their armies in the valley of Megiddo, in the country of Israel, for the battle of all battles. And I might preach about next week, or I might continue this sermon, not sure yet. But the battle of all ages, where over 200 million men will be in the army of Megiddo. They're the armies of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, which is a false trinity will meet the armies of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, which is the true Trinity. And you and I will be there, and there God will obliterate the armies of Satan. And Satan will be bound for a thousand years and cast in the bottomless pit. And we will enter the first phase of eternity known as the millennium. One thousand years of no more devil, no more demons, and no more hell. Thank God for the promise of the Bible. Eternity. The Bible says in Psalm 9:17, the nations that forget God will be turned into hell. That will be America. You know, I try to preach and not get political. But I got to tell you, I have an obligation to the King of Kings before I have an obligation to any earthly king or president. Mr. Mr. Dick Cheney. Last week did a very foolish thing and is going to further bring the judgment of God upon himself and this nation. Mr. Dick Cheney last week on Greta's show known as On the Record on Fox News sat alongside his daughter who is a avowed lesbian. And for years, Mr. Cheney, knowing that about his daughter, refused to bless it or condone it, but to love his daughter because he should. We should love our children. We should love our family. But we should never love sin, whether it comes through our children, grandchildren, or the church. But Mr. Cheney changed his mind about this thing of same-sex marriage and lesbianism and homosexuality. And as a result, Mr. Cheney will bring the judgment of God upon himself and help bring it upon this country. I am absolutely disappointed in Mr. Cheney. But you know what, my friends? Some years ago, I made up my mind that this world and its rulers are not going to give us the hope and the healing and revival that we need. I'm not looking to Washington, D.C. for the move of God. I'm not looking to Hollywood, California. I'm not looking to San Francisco. I'm not looking to New York City, London, England, or Hong Kong in Asia. I'm telling you, my king is coming in the clouds. And he is the Prince of Peace. And I will serve him in spite of the Dick Cheney's or anybody else. I am pledged to stay on the Word of God and be proud of the Word of God. Because my deliverance cometh from the Lord. I think of a sixth and a final word when I think about why the tribulation and this reality. The word reality causes me to tell you that Satan has long been obsessed with ruling the earth. During the tribulation, God will let him completely. Reality will set in. You want to write this down. Everything Satan rules, he ruins. Everything Satan touches, dies. He's a thief. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a father of lies. John 10 and 10 says, The thief cometh not but to steal and kill and destroy. The devil is not your friend. But he will make you think he's your friend like the Antichrist will. 
He will show you the pleasures of sin, but not the consequence. He will show you why it's okay for you to have sex outside of marriage, even though God forbids it. He will show you why it's okay to get drunk and lose your mind or get addicted to some kind of substance and you be okay. He will show you why it's right for you to take vengeance when God said vengeance is not yours. And for you to hate and orchestrate revenge when God says don't do it, I'll justify you. The devil will try to show you why sin is convenient, but he is a lying, cheating, murdering devil. And the reality of it will show itself during the tribulation. There's only one ruler, and that's God. But God will allow, because of his plan... The tribulation. You know, when you put all these words out front and you take the first letter of all these words, you find the word suffer. That's what the tribulation will produce. Suffering. You don't want to be here. Now, let me show you something here because time will not give me the opportunity to cover it all in one lesson. But for the next few moments that I have... I want to show you one of the seven judgments of God. Okay? Just give you an idea. There are three levels of the judgment of God that will take place during the tribulation. Their first level is called the seal judgments. S-E-A-L. The second, and they have seven, seven components of that kind of judgment. Then there's another level of judgment called the trumpet judgments. Seven in that also. There's a third level of the judgment of God during the tribulation known as the bowl judgments. As a bowl being poured out of its content. There's seven components to it also. When you think about the seal judgment, you read about it in chapter 6. And here's what you get. When you think about the word seal, John wrote so that people then could understand on the symbols and kind of Metaphors that people were acquainted with in that time. And in that time, a governor, a king, a a person in command would often decree a decree to be carried out by their subjects. They would write it on a parchment. They would roll it up. And then the king would take his seal that is engraved on his ring, dip it in hot liquid wax, and take it and seal the wax to the parchment. And it was sealed only to be opened by those to whom it was addressed. With that kind of symbolism, the king, God, will pour out seven judgments on the earth known as the seal judgments. And each will be broken and opened and reveal the content. The first of which you read about in chapter 6, verse 2. And I'll move it haste. Look in your scripture. It won't be on the screen. And I look, chapter 6, verse 2, Revelation, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to be conquered. And to conquer, pardon me. There are, in the first four seals that are unraveled, unsealed, there are four horses in each, in one in each seal. They are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the end time apocalypse. The first is, is this 
of a white horse rider who is the Antichrist. And I told you last week, and let me just highlight it. He will come out of the revised Roman Empire, which is now the European Economic Community, a ten-nation confederacy. He'll come out as a man of peace. He won't come from America as we know. Already more than ten nations are united in Europe, known as the European Economic Community. The stage is already set. Already in Europe, they have common currency. Already in Europe, they have common passage from one country to the next without having ten different passports. Can I get a witness? Anybody here knows what I'm talking about? Okay. Already the stage is set. And the Antichrist will first come as a charismatic, charming, uh, 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 smooth-talking, messiah type. But his means and his end is destruction. Here is the second. When the, when the second seal is open, you see what the Bible calls a red horse rider. Please look at verse number three. If you're there, say amen. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and it was given to him a great sword. This red horse rider represents the color of blood, war. The meaning here is that during the seven-year tribulation, and especially when this seal is broken and this judgment is poured out, There will be numerous wars in a lot of places in the world. So many wars that will cause the Antichrist to feel out of control. And there he will then exercise even greater violence to bring the world under control. The red horse rider is a second of the four horses of the apocalypse. Number three, you read about of the unopening, if you will, of the seven seals in verse 5 of chapter 6. When he opened the third seal. I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. The third seal represents famine. Famine will be so widespread in the world because of wars, because of probably nuclear kinds of uh, 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 the, the enactment of some nuclear warheads, because of the way the sun will scorch the earth and the earth will dry. The Bible says food is going to be in such short supply during the tribulation that a full day's wages will only buy enough food to keep one person alive. Don't want to be here. I like to eat too much. Fourth seal, you read about in chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. If you're still with me, say amen. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I look and behold a pale horse. This pale horse really represents a yellowish green kind of leprous color because its rider is known as death. Still follow with me. A pale horse, verse 8. And the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. The fourth horse simply means that death will come to the earth by hunger and by other kinds of means, where one-fourth of the earth's population will die at this kind of judgment. During World War II, one out of 40 people died. During the tribulation, one out of four will die. Not going to be here, and you either, because you know the king. The fifth seal, and I need to hasten. 
The Bible says in verses 9 through 11, please look there. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Verse 11. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, were completed. There'll be people getting saved during the tribulation. But it would be awfully difficult. And the only way that they will truly be saved is announcing whose side they're on, that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and not the Antichrist, and then the Antichrist will kill them. Anybody that gets saved during the tribulation will have to do so by shedding their blood. But there will be those because they'll realize I'd rather die like this and go to heaven than to live the rest of my life here under the rule of the Antichrist and go to hell eternally. The Bible says about the sixth seal, earthquakes and cosmic calamity. And then the seventh seal, silence. Take me, Jeremy, to the slide that I asked you to this morning. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can bring us to a place of decision if we're not already there. There are other judgments. Trumpet judgments. If you think this is, this is bad, you haven't seen anything yet. When the, when the trumpets of seven judgments are, are, are cast, hail and fire and blood will fill much of the earth. Burning mountains cast into the sea where the sea turns into blood. Stars fall from heaven, turning the rivers into contamination. And there's more. But I've only given you a fraction. And I've given you that to tell you that don't think in your mind that because you know the gospel before the rapture, you'll get saved if you're left behind during the tribulation. Because it won't happen. And if it happens, I just told you the only way it could. If, if you can't serve God now with your little puny trials that you have in your life, what makes you think you are going to serve God when all of hell breaks loose? Because when the tribulation takes place, there's going to be such depravity on the earth. I'm talking, when I say depravity, I am talking about such wickedness and rebellion on the earth. The nature of sin is going to be so horrendous. Until when you think you're going to have to die just to serve Christ, you're probably not going to change your mind and serve Christ. Because sin will be such in such a Deep and immeasurable fashion. Why those who know the gospel probably won't be saved in the tribulation? is because the dispensation, which is another word for time and age, of the Holy Spirit is gone. Everybody saved has the Holy Spirit in them. Can I get an amen? Everybody saved is an agent of the Holy Ghost. So be careful where you go, what you say and what you do because you've got Holy Ghost in you. And if you do something wrong or bad, he'll move out. So when we all get raptured, the age of the Holy Ghost is gone. The Spirit is departed. And right now, there may be some conviction, but then, when the age of the Holy Spirit, the convictor is gone, you won't get saved. Deception will reign. Deception to the degree that people put off salvation, put off 
put off salvation, put off salvation. Because they'll think this Antichrist is the real Christ until he reveals himself and it's too late for them. Deception, deception reigns now. I know it does. They're false Christ now. They're false teachers now. But it will be even more intense. Then delusion will be there. The Bible says that God will send a strong delusion during the time of the tribulation where people even believe a lie. You don't want to be here. You want to decide now. The Bible says darkness will be so prevalent on the earth. Not just literal darkness, but the darkness of torture and martyrdom and murder and violence and immorality. A person who won't live for God today probably will be too weak to die for Jesus then. Demons will rule along with the devil. What do you think the Antichrist is made his power from? Satan himself, hell itself. The Bible says during the tribulation, angels that are presently chained in the bottomless pit, there are angels now who fell with the devil. Not all of them are in uh, open, uh, visible or invisible, uh, uh, flying all over the earth. There are chained angels who are going to be unchained. And you think it's hard now. Demons are going to make it even more intense. And then despair is going to be so intense. Men's hearts will fail them for fear. And men's heart will fail them because of the despair. And so I, I say all that to tell you that this is not some kind of Steven Spielberg kind of stuff. This is the Word of God. This is only those who are born again are going to go. This is real. You don't want to be here. Bow your heads, please, would you? I know I've gone longer than I should, and I apologize, but wow. I don't know of anything more urgent than rescuing a soul from hell. Or keeping somebody from going there. And so pray with me, believers. Pray with me, mamas and daddies. You got somebody not saved. They may not be in this church, but they need to hear the gospel somewhere. Pray for me, somebody, and someone else who got unsaved loved ones that God will send an angel unaware or another human being to give them a message today. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And then there are people sitting in this church that you need to be ready right now. Right now. You don't need to. You don't need to. Take lightly this moment. Pastor Allen, if I, if I die today, I would not go to heaven. My soul would not go to be with the Lord. And if Jesus comes today, Pastor, I will not go up in the clouds in the rapture because I'm not living for Jesus and I want to live for Jesus. I don't want to be left behind. And I want to be saved. Oh, Heavenly Father, pray with me, Christians. Uh, Listen, I don't know when the day is. I just know I'm supposed to tell you to get ready. And I know I told you there are 300 prophecies in the Old Testament been fulfilled about Jesus. The rest about Jesus, I don't know how many there are. I might study and learn that later. But I'm telling you that what God began, God will finish. And He's got a gift for you. It's called salvation. And He wants to take you to His heaven. And the devil wants to kill you. You say, Pastor, I need to come back to Christ. Well, I need to come to Him the first time. Raise your hand very quickly. Hold it up very quickly. Thank you. That's one. Anybody else here? I need to come to Jesus. Let me put it down. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you, God, to continue your work in our lives. And especially for these that raise their hands, we ask you, God, to even now come and wash and cleanse if you raise your hands, I want you where you're seated this morning to even pray a whisper to yourself. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. 
while the moment of prayer is still with us, I want every, everyone in this house to say, Pastor, I know somebody who is not saved, and I even know people who used to be saved, and they're not ready to meet the Lord, and they need prayers. If you know that, raise your hands for them. Raise it, raise it up. I know they need... Now lift your other hands with me and pray for them right now. All over the church, in the choir, in the house, raise your voices above a whisper and call their name. Yes, call their name right now. Father, I really believe that this word will not return void. And I pray... I have people in my family, God. I have relatives. I, I, have, I know people, oh God, that I love and they love me, but they don't love Jesus enough to give their heart to Jesus and serve Him. I don't want them to be left behind. Come on, church. God, there are people who are backslidden. There are millions of Americans that are backslidden. Some of them are our families, God. And I ask you in Jesus' name, give me a burden for them. Pray that way, church. Give me a burden more than right now, more than Sunday morning, for their souls. Bring a harvest of last day souls that we can't even count in Jesus' name. Amen? Let me believe that God's word is true. Put your hands together and thank Him for it. Come on. Come on, let's give the Lord thanks.